Hello and welcome to our podcast, On Your Marks. My name is Peter and I am the leader of St Mark's Church in Jersey, a growing, friendly Anglican church in the centre of St Helier. We want to take the Bible apart and see what's really in there, going beyond the face value to dig a little deeper into certain topics. We will bring you fresh content every week and hope you get a lot out of listening. So, if you're ready, let's go. So hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. If you are new listening to this, then a special welcome to you. Today's episode is going to be slightly different to our normal routine. I'm not sitting with Ray, I'm uh, sitting by myself in my office And it's different because our Sunday service yesterday was also very different. Last week was National Prisons Week. It's a time that was actually started by the Anglican Church, I'm not sure how many years ago. But it is a call for us to think about the prison service and the role it plays within our society. And to pray for prison officers, to thank them for the amazing work that goes on. And the prison governor in Jersey, I love the way she put this. Um, that the role of prisons is to make better neighbours. Isn't that so true? So anyway, the the service was a really powerful one. We had a a number of people share their testimonies, but but one person who was a guest speaker to the island came and shared his testimony. Um, His name was Lewis Gibson, and he shared his testimony of transformation that he has seen in his life. His life has been defined by crime ever since a young age and during a recent stay in Winchester prison he reached the darkest time in his life and he prayed that God would help him and what followed was transformation. And his story was so exciting and everyone there uh, was overwhelmed by his honesty but also really encouraged by his story. And so I'd like to share it with you now. Good morning everybody. A warm welcome to you all and I'd just like to say thank you to Peter and thank you to Susie um, for inviting uh, me and my family over here. It's been an absolute privilege to come to Jersey. Um, We've had such a powerful week in the prison. Um, Just following on from Susie's story of the first time we met when I was kicking my door and being abusive to, um, you know, being over here. The other night we were out for dinner in Pizza Express how surreal, you know, doesn't God work in wonderful ways, you know, I I definitely was not expected for how God was going to work in my life and how God was going to move in my life, you know, once I became willing. So today I'd uh, like to share my testimony. What I generally do is talk about what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. Um, I, I have written a few notes and mainly because I'd like to share a few verses with you um, at the end of my testimony. So I'll kind of just jump straight in. So from an early age, you know, um, I had quite an unsettled um, childhood. My dad was in the army. Um, You know, it was like a military family. We were posted to a new town every two years. So from an early age, I can remember starting a new school, settling in, getting to find some new friends, and then my dad telling us that we're going to be moving to this town now. You know, and I'd be uprooted, taken out of that school. I remember quite poignantly missing some of my friends as we were, you know, as we were leaving 
in the car with everything packed and that, you know, and um, having to go to a new town and start all over again in a new school, start again with new friends. And um, I, I can definitely remember feeling very um, anxious, feeling like I didn't fit in, seeking approval, you know, from the people around me. Um, and so that kind of started off a pattern of behaviour for me. Um, my dad, bless him, was a, you know, he was a heavy drinker, he's an army culture, he'd be out with, you know, doing the army stuff at the day, um, and then in the evening, you know, he'd kind of be in the pub. This caused a lot of arguments between my mother and father. I can remember there was a lot of shouting and screaming in the house when I was younger. Around about this time, I started misbehaving at school. I think this is an extension of the, um, you know, seeking approval and um, attention seeking. This kind of continued around the age of eight or nine. My mum and dad split up. I went to live with my mum um, and my behaviour just kind of escalated. You know, I was misbehaving at school. I was being the class clown. I was getting in a lot of trouble. Um, I started coming into contact with the police. My mum got to the point where she couldn't cope with me and she sent me to live with my dad. So my dad at this point, he'd left the army, he had a job, but he was still kind of doing the same thing. So he'd go to work all day, you know, like work hard, play hard type of attitude. He'd come home from work and he'd go down a pub. He'd be down a pub all night. Um, so I was kind of left to my own devices from an early age. I kind of you know, started hanging around with all the kids on the estate, that was up to no good. I was still seeking approval, so I'd do anything that anyone said just to try and feel part, part of. And, um, you know, by the time I got to 12 years old, I was getting arrested for shoplifting, you know, criminal damage, all that type of stuff. And my dad had enough of me. My dad washed his hands of me and he put me in the care of social services. Um, so I always like to say at this point, you know, this isn't a sob story, this is me, you know, reflecting back on my life and how I felt. So if I explain how I felt when I went into the children's home, I definitely felt abandoned, I felt rejected, I was very angry. And um, I remember sitting in that children's home that first night in floods of tears, thinking, why doesn't my family want me? Um, the tears t soon dried up in terms of anger. And I vividly remember sitting there thinking to myself, no one is ever going to tell me what to do ever again in my life. I'm the boss. I'm in charge now. And you can imagine the chaos that would cause for a 12-year-old boy. You know, I wouldn't do as I was told. I wouldn't go to school, you know, and I wouldn't listen to anyone, especially anyone in authority. My behaviour escalated. The other kids in the children's home were already well on their way into, you know, criminality and drinking alcohol and smoking cannabis and things like that, you know, and I, I was still on this journey of wanting to fit in and seeking approval. And I quickly found that if I was the, you know, the person who was the most willing to do the craziest things out of the group, you know, that I'd kind of receive what this approval that I was seeking. By the time I got to 15 years old, I was an absolute nuisance. I was always getting arrested. The police and the courts, they were just desperate, you know, to get me off the street. So 15 years old, I was sent to a young offenders institution. 
Back then, you know, I wouldn't have told anyone how I felt. If you'd have asked me how I felt, I'd say I'm fine. I'd say I don't care. Since an early age, I'd been slowly building up a brick wall around myself, you know, to keep everyone at arm's length. Anything that I felt, I kind of pushed down and suppressed. So even though I, when I was in prison, I was terrified, you wouldn't have known it by looking at me. You know, I learned to put a mask on. I learned to build this persona that I present to the world, this bravado that kind of carried me through. Like I say, even though I was terrified inside. So this started off a cycle of, um, you know, going to prison, getting out, doing the same stuff, going back to prison. And this went on for 23 years from the age of 15 to 38. So generally what would happen is, you know, I'd end up in prison, I'd be full of remorse, usually because I've been caught, not because I was, um, you know, trying to change the, what I was doing, you know, I was too busy having fun at that young age. Um, however, <clears throat> I didn't like being in prison and I would definitely start to try and make plans on how I would stay out of prison this next time. If anybody that was in my life that I cared about, you know, I'd make promises to them and say, this time it's going to be different. But invariably, I'd get out of prison. I wouldn't make any plans. I was still trying to do it my own way because remember, I'm the boss. I'm in charge and I'm doing it my way. Um, and maybe I'd last two weeks at the most trying to behave myself. And then invariably, I'd fall back into that way again and um, I'd find myself back in prison. So this kind of went on for a long time. Over this time, you know, I met a lady. We had a couple of sons together, two boys. Um, my life was just so chaotic within a short space of time. You know, I wasn't allowed to have any contact with my sons. Um, you know, all my relationships in my life here yeah, with my family and that had broken down. Um, you know, especially with my mother. We used to have a really good relationship when I was younger and that, you know, and that kind of broke down. And my life just came to, uh, seemed to keep going um, from bad to worse over and over again. Drugs are a big part of my story. You know, at first I thought I used drugs to have a good time, but there was definitely a point when I crossed the line and um, I, used to, I started to use um, substances as a crutch, you know, to get me through every day. So fast forward a little bit, around 2014, you know, I'd pretty much worked my way through all the substances that they talk about and I was introduced to crack cocaine and heroin. Um, me and a, and a lady that I was with at the time, you know, we thought it'd be a great idea to start, um, you know, doing these drugs. And at first, you know, it was really exciting, I'm not going to lie, you know, it, it did for me what I couldn't do for myself, you know, it took away everything that I was trying to get away from inside of me, all this turmoil that I couldn't express and I couldn't get away from. Um, but quickly, you know, they completely took over our lives. If I thought I'd lost anything before or everything before in my life, I wasn't prepared for what heroin was going to do to my life. So it completely stripped everything away, you know. Forget about losing your possessions and becoming homeless, which I did, you know. I ended up living on the streets of Bournemouth. Um, Forget about all that type of stuff, you know, it strips away your pride, you know, it, it strips away any vestige of humanity, you know, like, 
I didn't care about washing, I didn't care about brushing my teeth, I didn't care about speaking to my children. All I cared about was getting up in the morning and getting some money and going to buy some drugs to try and change the way I feel. So I was trapped in a hopeless, hopeless way of life. Um, so what happened then? April 2019, I found myself in Winchester Prison again. Um, I'd been on the streets for about, on and off for about five, six years now. When I got into Winchester Prison, I weighed about eight stone. I, um, <clears throat> I'd been in a police station for three days being interviewed about all these burglaries that I'd, that I'd done um, to try and support my habit. And so by the time I got to Winchester Prison, I had been withdrawing from heroin for three days and I was in a very, very bad way. I, um, I got there and, you know, they gave me some methadone, which wasn't enough for me, which is like a heroin substitute, opiate substitute, and then they put me in a cell. And generally what I used to do when I used to go to prison and they'd shut the door behind me, I'd, um, I won't swear, I'll use another word, I used to walk in there and I'd hear the door shut and I'd say, Lewis, you idiot, you know, I'm here again, type of thing, you know. And, uh, but this time, you know, I walked in the cell, the door shut behind me and I walked in and I looked, every cell's got a little perspex plastic mirror in the cell. And I kind of stood in front of that mirror and I looked at myself and I looked at the reflection looking back at me and I didn't recognise the person looking back at me. And I said, who am I? Who am I? Um, and in that moment I broke down. Broke down and I didn't know where else to turn. And I said, God help me please. Now I've prayed many times in my life. I've prayed when I've been in a police station and I want to get out. God, please let me get some bail, yeah? I've prayed when I've been in court. Please make this judge lenient on me today, Lord. I've prayed when I've been going shoplifting to steal stuff to sell to get my drugs. God, please just protect me. Let me get these drugs that, you know, that I need to get now, these bottles to get my drugs, you know. Um, but as soon as I got what I wanted in the past, you know, forget about God, he'd be out of the picture. This time, and I believe... I've come to believe now, yeah, that God knows when you're sincere in your heart, when you're praying. And in that moment, I feel a bit emotional, I will get emotional talking about this. In that moment, you know, that was the first time that I'd ever, ever prayed sincerely in my life. I meant it. Because quite clearly, my way hadn't been working. Lewis being the boss hadn't been working. You know, my will, my thinking, my best thinking, and I'm not a stupid guy, you know, my best thinking had always resulted in chaos, destruction, and me ending up in prison, you know, and it took me a long, long time, you know, to, um, to come to that, that place of brokenness, to surrender, because that's what it was, it was a moment of surrender. So, I'm not going to say this shining light came down from heaven, because it didn't, Right, but I did find comfort in prayer in that moment and going forward, I definitely started to pray on a regular basis. Right. One thing I did as well that night is I, I made a resolve to get the help that I needed. So that involved contacting the substance misuse team in Winchester Prison, which I did. They put me on a detox. I'm going to kind of condense what happened all right, whilst I was in Winchester Prison, but the way I will describe it is, is that I went on a beautiful journey of discovery. All right? Like Susie said, 
when I became willing, which is the key point. You know, before I might have made the right noises and said, yeah, you know, I want to sort myself out. But this time, yeah, I was ready. I was determined. I thought, I'm going to do whatever it takes me to sort my life out, you know. Um, so, yeah, I got some help from the substance misuse team. Um, there's a few other things I did. I became a listener, which is somebody trained by the Samaritans to listen to other prisoners when they're feeling suicidal. Just briefly for someone who'd only ever thought about themselves, you know, or only spoken to people to find out what they might have for me or what, what they can do for me, you know, to actually then go into listening to someone sharing in, innermost thoughts and maybe, you know, telling me that they feel suicidal. Wow, what a humbling experience. You know, what a skill to be able to sit there and switch my brain off and stop thinking about Lewis for a second and listen to somebody else for a moment, you know. Um, one massive thing uh, about Winchester Prison was they allowed Cocaine Anonymous to come in there. And it's quite similar to Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a 12-step fellowship. I started attending their meetings and they've got this, pro this program of action, which is what I really needed, you know, to take a serious look at my life um, and, and start making some changes. The best way to sum up my experience with the CA programme is all my life I'd wanted to be a good person, all right, but I didn't have the means to be a good person. I wasn't a bad person, I was a good person inside that was doing bad things and I didn't know why. And CA and the 12-step programme gave me the tools that I needed to start becoming that person. I was given a specific set of prayers to try and combat Lewis, Lewis's character defects. Lewis's expectations not being met on a daily basis. And I started to, started to learn about myself. I started to learn who Lewis was. And I realised I didn't know who I was. I realised that I hadn't had an identity. I'd just been this person that went through life people-pleasing, saying things to people, yeah, that, to make them laugh or smile or what I thought I wanted them to hear, to validate myself to them, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, from being a listener and doing all this stuff, I started to get some self-worth, started to get an identity, and it was really empowering. And, you know, Winchester Prison might be a very chaotic place, you know, it's a big prison, um, but definitely got lots of amazing support from the staff in there. You know, um, Susie spoke about the victim awareness course that I took part in in there, you know. Um, Wow, what an experience. I didn't have any idea of what a victim was. My whole life was just a justification. If, I, if they said to me, you know, what about that victim then? I'd say, well, if I didn't do it, somebody else would. You know, that's the type of rubbish that would come out of my mouth. Um, but they introduced the idea of a, of a victim to me. Um, I met some real-life victims on that course, and it had such a powerful impact on me that for me, a person who'd been in prison for 20, in and out of prison for 23 years, I sat in my cell and I thought, do you know what? I don't want to be a criminal anymore. Imagine that. Imagine that. That's what happened to me. And that seed kind of grew. And by the end of that course, I renounced my criminality. Can you imagine what that's like when you're in a prison full of people who know you and say, oh, by the way, I'm not a criminal no more, yeah? <laughs> I'm not. No, I don't want to hear that. I'm not a criminal, you know. I'm not glorifying crime anymore. You know, um, it was difficult, you know. I liken it to a fish swimming, swimming upstream, you know. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to condense this a bit. Basically, I, um, 
I was taught to believe in a God of my own, own understanding in Cocaine Anonymous. All right, this is really important for me. Because I still had a massive ego, even though I was broken, you know, I still would, would relied on myself all my life. Um, <clears throat> and I'd had this beautiful experience on the CA programme. And I was kind of walking around the prison and I was, in my eyes, I wanted to be a, a walking advert for recovery. All right. So I was kind of telling everyone about all this stuff that I'd done, trying to inspire other people to do it. And one evening I was talking to a guy that was on my wing and he was still taking drugs within the prison. <clears throat> I'd got clean by now, you know, and I'd worked this programme and amazingly the desire to use had been removed from me. And I was telling this guy, his name's Callum, I was saying, Callum, listen, this is what I've done with this programme. And I was explaining this beautiful experience that I've been through. <clears throat> Sorry, can I grab that thing of water? And I was telling him about how I'd been given these tools to pray for my character defects to be removed, you know, which I promise you is a very hard thing to do in a prison and practice in a prison. Um, you know, you come into conflict with people every day. Uh, and, he, and he was listening to me and all of a sudden he said to me, Lewis, what you're talking about sounds like um, the book of James. And I was like, what's the book of James? And he goes, well, he goes, he said, look, I'll tell you a bit about my life. He said, you know, he said, I was brought up a Christian. Goes, I've kind of come away from that, you know, and I've relapsed and you know, I've found myself in prison and that, yeah. And he goes, but that, all that stuff you're talking about there, he goes, it's the book of James, mate. He goes, it's only five pages. He goes, you need to read it. And he really inspired me. And so I've got a Bible and I read the book of James. And you know what? It absolutely blew me away. In the book of James, they talk about this high level of morality, you know, so I'm praying every day to be a better person and I'm praying for my character defects to be removed. And in the book of James, they talk about praising God in one breath and then slandering your fellow man in the next breath, you know, and um, I was like, wow, you know. And at first, it, it seemed very overwhelming, you know, it's like quite a high level to attain. Um, but it definitely got me interested in reading the Bible. Um, I went to the library, I got a book that kind of broke down the New Testament and I started reading like this alongside the Bible. And then I had this revelation. I was the type of person that had rubbished Jesus and church and everything all my life, you know. I was the type of guy that would be walking down the road to score some drugs and I'd see people going to church and I'd nudge the guy by me and go, <laughs> look at them idiots. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that was my experience. And then all of a sudden I had this revelation yeah, that Jesus is real. I couldn't believe it, you know, I was like reading this New Testament and the commentary with it. And I was like, wow, this is a real person. And um, I made a decision, I thought, you know, I'm not going to pray to this God that I can't define anymore, that I was taught by CA, which I needed though. But now I thought, I'm going to pray to a God that I can define, yeah, and this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I went from the type of person who was fearful, oh, sorry, mm -hmm. fearful, um, that was an echo off my hand, I think, yeah. I went from a type of person that was fearful to pray in front of people. So this is the type of stuff I used to do, yeah. I'd cover up the observation panel on my door in my cell just in case somebody looked through and seen me praying. You know what I mean? Because yeah? I, was, I was terrified of ridicule, you know. I was still full of fear inside. Um, but what, what, what happened was is I started to have this very real experience with praying. What at first was mechanical became, started to become a daily part of my routine, you know, in my day, I started, in, you know, from just praying in the morning, 
when I woke up to praying at night, I started to pray through the day and I had this beautiful experience where I felt like I'd, I became free in the prison and the only way I can describe it is as if um, the bars had melted. I was finally present in the moment and I felt set free, you know, and I felt like I had a purpose within that prison, um, which was to carry a message. So I was in a bit of conflict, you know. I was surrounded by all these people that I'd been with all my life, you know, drug addicts and criminals. And then, you know, and I'm, I've definitely had this experience with Jesus, but I'm fearful around ridicule, you know, what they're going to think of me. And um, so I started to pray for the courage to share my experience with other prisoners. And I found the courage through prayer, you know, and I lost that fear of speaking to other prisoners about what had happened to me. Right, so if I just take a little bit of these, look at these notes quickly, what I've written there. Um, yeah, so I'd just like to share quickly. The morning of my release, all right? So I've been through this amazing journey this, in prison, you know, this amazing, beautiful experience. And I was still very fearful of getting out of prison. I was worried about what was going to happen the day I got out. Um, I'd always used drugs and alcohol the day I got out of prison, no matter what I'd promised anyone or promised myself. And so I woke up about six o'clock in the morning and I immediately started praying. I was like, God, please protect me. I'm very frightened today. Please watch over me. Please guide me as I leave the prison today. Yeah? And I was praying on and off for about two hours until the officer came to collect me from my cell to take me to reception. So anyway, the officer did turn up and we walked over to reception. And as I was walking into reception, <clears throat> the strangest feeling I've ever had in my whole life came over me. And it was such a strange feeling, I literally put my hand on my chest because it's something that I had never felt before. I, and that feeling was peace. I, in that moment, all that worry and fear kind of just washed away from me and I stood there. They, I signed the paperwork and then they released me from the prison and I walked out and it was a beautiful June day and I stood on the side of the road and for the first time in my life here, I didn't want to go to the off-licence, I didn't want to go and score any drugs and I just stood there and I was present in the moment with the sun shining, waiting for this support worker to pick me up, you know. Um, so what's my life like now, briefly? God's continued to bless me massively and my family. You know, Zoe and I have got a beautiful daughter together now. The two sons that I spoke about earlier on, they're back in my life. They have been for the past two years. I've had the opportunity recently to make amends to both of them and apologise for the harm that I caused in their lives. They both just said to me, you know, Dad, keep doing what you're doing. Um, I've got my mum back in my life now. My mum wouldn't let me pass her front door for a good 10 years, you know, and we've got that beautiful mother and son relationship back now. I've had the opportunity to make amends to my mum. Um, you know, I've set up my own business. We've been blessed with that. You know, as long as I stay close to God and I keep praying, you know, I've been, I've, I've plugged into a local church. Can't fail to mention that. The massive support in the church that I go to, I've been baptised since I got out. You know, as long as I stay close to God and stay close to the church, you know, our, our life, my life has just continued to be blessed. 
Um, so, I'd just like to read what I've written on here quickly. I appreciate you've been listening for a long time, guys, and I really appreciate your patience. Um, so, I'd just like to clarify um, that you don't have to have gone to prison, been homeless, or addicted to heroin to b- receive the blessings of God. Um, or, more importantly, have a complete transformation of the heart. Um, I'd just like to share a few verses from the book of James. For me, now that the drug problem and the criminality is being removed from me by God, what used to seem overwhelming in the book of James has now become clear-cut directions for me to live my life and to deal with life's up and downs. So right at the beginning of the book of James, in trials and temptations, it says in James 1-2, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. This is something me and Zoe have a thing about, my partner's over here, yeah, so I'll have a really hard day at work, you know, I'll be really stressed out and I'll come home and as soon as I walk in the door, yeah, I'll start whinging and moaning, yeah? And Zoe will say, consider it pure joy, Lewis, yeah? And she'll do the same, she'll have a stressful day and someone's annoyed her, and she comes in the door, and I'll say, consider it pure joy, Zoe. And what it does is, it reminds us that we're living in the flesh, yeah, and not in God's will in that moment. Um, it's a very good tool that we find. So continuing on in verse 3 and 4, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If I relate this to my life, the enemy is always there waiting to test the faith that pulled me through. Very true. I have to always be vigilant and at times I have to persevere. And finally, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So today, prayer is a massive part of my life. It's the first thing I do in the morning and it's the last thing I do before I go to bed. Quite often in the day when I'm struggling, I find that I'm stuck in my own self-will, trying to run the show. When it becomes painful enough, the light bulb, light bulb comes on and I remember, it's not my show, it's God's show. Then I pray, <clears throat> I surrender my will, and I do this quite regularly. I say, God, please guide me, take my will in my life and show me how to live. So I'd just like to encourage everyone here today, if something's weighing heavily on your heart, if you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, or if something's troubling you, just give it to God, talk to him and hand it over. My favourite passage in the Bible is Proverbs 3-5. to Trust in the Lord God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Submit to him in all you do and he will make your path straight. Thank you for listening, guys. I'm going to perform some spoken word now. And, um, yeah, so, move this out of the way. Thank you. I didn't want to say what I'm thinking, because the truth hurts. Each time I had to start from the beginning till I found out what works. I didn't want to spill the beans because I didn't want to deal with the fallout. I didn't know I had the means, but then I dug deep and I went all out. I was in a place that I didn't want to be, my face in a mirror that I didn't want to see, no trace of the person I dreamed that I could be. Just another case, a waste, a tragedy. 
I never examined my motives because my actions were a means to an end. Just like I promised to a fool, my best lies were my best friends. Anger, fear and frustration drove me to the gates of hell. The devil welcomed me with open arms. I was on the wrong path and I really couldn't tell. I never considered the consequences of my actions. Why would I? I never had a reason to. No one could ever tell me nothing. You could talk to me until your face was blue. I could have a thousand pounds in my pocket. I'd steal a ten pound shirt. I'd say these companies can afford it. A little freebie won't hurt. Everything I saw was mine for the taking. All I could see is the money I'd be making. Forget about the laws that I'd be breaking. What's mine was mine and yours I'd be taking. I lived my life without boundaries, yet my lack of boundaries constricted me. I'd spit fire and venom at the judge as he sentenced and convicted me. I was immersed in a dark pool of insanity, sedated with pleasures, drug, sex and vanity, coerced like a mule to carrot in front of me. I wasn't aware that God had a plan for me. I was travelling through life like an automaton, always asking the question, what's going on? As the days turn to weeks and the weeks they have gone, and the months turn to years and still I march on. And still I go on, beat my head off the wall. I haven't done nothing, no nothing at all. I'm up and I'm down, there's a rise and a fall. And it's back to the start of my back to the wall. Round and around like a merry-go-round. But nothing is merry and my mind isn't sound. My mind is a mess, I'm a mess, I am ruined. But worst of it all, it's all my own doing. The darkness, the madness, the sadness, the pain. Over and over and over again. I'm reaching, I'm screeching, beseeching the Lord. You live by the knife and you die by the sword. <clears throat> the darkest of hours comes before the light of the dawn. I crouched and I cowered in the eye of the storm. I saw myself truly for what I'd become. It came to me clearly what needed to be done. I found the courage inside and the strength in my heart that a journey begins with a step from the start. All it takes is a step and the rest they will follow. The truest of truth is the hardest to swallow. Yet I found that as soon as I became willing, a life waited for me that was warm and fulfilling. But still there was work, there was work to be done. The journey had started but only begun. I finally saw I was on the right path, with the Lord God above with his rod and his staff. <clears throat> I humbled myself and I sank to my knees, begged the Lord for his mercy, do with me as you please. I prayed for my purpose and my purpose it came to conquer my demons and conquer my pain. Slowly I found the strength I was strong to find in me to become and belong. So now I'm here and I stand in the light. My passion is fierce and I'm fighting the fight. My conviction is strong and I'm filled with his spirit. I found a new life and with love I will live it. It's always so encouraging to hear how God moves in people's lives and the transformation that that can bring. And so if you want to watch the whole service, you can find that on YouTube. But I just want to leave something with you, and that is Lewis spoke quite candidly about being in prison, but also about being imprisoned. You know, different things can take a hold of us. And so my prayer for anyone listening now who thinks that they've got something in their life that is imprisoning them, holding them back. Trust that God wants the best for you. Have expectation that he will heal you and pray that he starts a work in you today, that he starts that transformation process. 
And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We do hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share with your friends on social media. And please do get in touch with any suggestions or comments you may have. Thanks for listening and see you next time.